Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to AOA. Thanks for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We do appreciate it. Lots to talk about today. The markets uh, have these volatile weather markets. Uh, We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. We're going to talk weather. They're impacting the market, certainly. Uh, We'll talk about these weather trends that are setting in here in July. Uh, Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, will join us to talk about that. And Don Parrish is wrapping up a 33-year career with the American Farm Bureau Federation. He keeps us up to date on waters of the U.S. primarily. We'll talk with Don about the latest on WOTUS and look back at his very uh, distinguished career uh, as he gets ready to retire. So all that coming up on today's program. But we'll start it off with the news with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. And Jerry, good to talk with you again. We've talked for weeks and months about all these plans, proposals, packages, uh, big ideas in Washington, D.C. Is Congress any closer to actually voting on any of them, getting any of them uh, actually through to the finish line? Well, good morning, Mike. Actually, I can report today that there are reports that the Senate Democratic leadership wants to take up the infrastructure bill the week of July 19th. Uh, this is something of a surprise, but there's also the report that, the, that their biggest problem in finalizing the bill is figuring out uh, how to structure the section on broadband. The problem is they still don't believe that there are ac- accurate maps of where there's good broadband and where there's not good broadband in rural America. So uh, we'll have to see what happens on that next week. Of course, this week, both the House and the Senate are out. So they're, they're not doing anything except uh, going to parades, et cetera, back in their districts and their states. But anyway, so there is some news on Congress actually doing something. Now, which infrastructure package are we talking about? What's the size of it that they may be voting on soon? Uh, we are talking about the smaller Republican, uh, excuse me, the smaller uh, bipartisan uh, package, mm-hmm. uh, the one to which uh, several Republican senators agreed, and the Democrats have uh, Democrats have also agreed. Uh, I don't see any reports at the moment about this. Um, what? what the Democrats call the human infrastructure bill, the one that that, uh, House Speaker Pelosi says she wants to go through concurrently with this. I only hear about the bipartisan one uh, uh, that has, to which some Republicans have agreed to, but we don't know yet for sure if if there will be 10 Republicans who will support it, which is what would be necessary because you'd have to have 60 votes to end debate on the, on the proposal. So we continue to wait on that. Um, meanwhile, the administration is seemingly trying to get involved in a lot of areas. Uh, we see what they're talking about, trying to do something with livestock markets. Uh, we're talking about now also trying to get into the area of uh, farmers' right to repair their, their own equipment. So it seems like they're getting into a lot of different things. Meat labeling. Uh, these are all issues that need to be addressed obviously but 
the government, again, we hear these proposals, we're going to address these, we're going to look at them, but not a lot of details. Uh, do you see any of these really going very far? Well, uh, first of all, the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, Jen Psaki, Biden's press secretary, has said that he's going to issue an executive order on competition, and that's where this, this comes through. And uh, in terms of the, of the meat issues, uh, these are things that some meat groups have been pushing for, for for many, many, many years. Now, the big change at the moment is that the Federal Trade Commission uh, now has new leadership. Uh, it has a new a woman academic. She's quite young, who has been named the chair of that, and it's and it's a, a five-member uh, commission with uh, three Democrats and and only two uh, Republicans. And last week they put through a measure which says which codified their regulations on made in the USA, which uh, lays the groundwork for USDA uh, reworking its rule on products of the USA. And of course, at the present time, uh, any uh, you know meat, if it's processed in the United States, can be considered product of the USA. Even the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says that isn't right. They want a label that says processed in the USA, but there are also cattle groups that want more strict country of origin labeling. Now, that idea ran into trouble some years ago when it was put into law and the World Trade Organization ruled that we were the United States was discriminating against Canadian and Mexican cattle, and so that was rescinded. But we'll see if they try to rework that. Um, you know, right to repair, that's another issue that's been coming up from farmers who, who don't like the control of their equipment, and now the equipment companies are saying, well, you try to, you, you say that the farmers should be able to repair these things, but you could have problems with the computers and the tractors uh, if, if they're going to do it themselves. Yeah, these are long-standing issues. I'm uh, just not sure that government involvement is going to get them fixed or not, but we will see. I mean, it's it, it'll be tough. Uh, these are tough issues. Meanwhile, our U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai, has been uh, talking with both Canadian and Mexican officials about some trade issues. Yes, she has. Uh, she's in Mexico City uh, today. She was there yesterday. Uh, and uh, she has the uh, she has talked to the Mexicans about their biotech regulations because they haven't approved any new biotech products for years. The uh, uh, biotechnology innovation organization has praised her her statements down there. Uh, she's also been talking about getting access for U.S. potatoes uh, uh, nationwide in Mexico. Uh, which, of course, the Mexican courts have ruled is, is, uh, can be done, but, it, but the policy would still have to be implemented. And she has also spoken to the Canadians about access on, uh, on dairy. So all of this has got taken place in the context of the celebration of the one-year anniversary of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement. Yeah, uh, the, the agreement... But they didn't, did not solve everything, obviously, so these issues still remain, and we're still waiting for some uh, resolution on them, but it, at, at least they are addressing those issues. Yes, uh, well, it, it is considered, uh, uh, you know, it considered some progress, and of course uh, it retained the aspects of the North American Free Trade Agreement that American agriculture cared so, uh, so much about, uh, and that they were afraid that the Trump administration might uh, overlook 
in its uh, in its zeal to rewrite the rewrite the agreement. But they are celebrating the three uh, trade um, representatives, uh, who, by the way, are all women, uh, are celebrating this one-year anniversary in Mexico City today. All right, Jerry, thanks. Good to talk to you. Thanks for the update. Uh, good to talk to you. I look forward to having something more concrete on, on the uh, uh, infrastructure bill when Congress comes back. All right, we'll look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Yeah, a lot of talking going on. We're still waiting for some results. Maybe we're getting closer, at least on the infrastructure issue. Weather up next, we talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. First of all, how do you break down this ruling and pluses, minuses from a biofuels perspective? What's your analysis? We're obviously disappointed. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court cited against us on, I guess, what we would call a technical issue, the definition of extension. You know, so now it means that a small uh, refinery can apply for an exemption at any time. I think it's important to point out, though, that that it is going to be there's going to be a more stringent threshold to grant those exemptions moving forward, as the other two parts of that Tenth Circuit decision were not challenged by the Supreme Court. So, so there are two very good parts still in place, and we plan to make sure the EPA sticks to those. Um, and and so we were disappointed and a little bit surprised. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. 
Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather conditions and patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Uh, some good news. Some dry areas got some much-needed rain. They need more, but uh, at least they got some. Uh, you're right. Uh, you know, after the, the really dry period we've had going back last 30 days, 90 days even, uh, you know, we've had some two-inch rainfalls. They, the, the common response to everything is they're really spotty, and that's the way convective rainfalls tend to be. But definitely in South Dakota and some other parts of the Northern Plains, we've had some, some decent rainfalls, which has come just in time to try to help out our corn crop. We're kind of late for, for, for grasses and small grains. Uh, Eastern Corn Belt, you know, definitely we've had some, some bigger rainfalls there. We're in better, better shape, but, uh, you know, we, we've had some, some, some additional rainfalls over there and even a little bit of flooding and wetness in some areas. Do we have any changing weather patterns or any systems settling in now or not? Um, you know, that, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, from, from a larger standpoint, you know, like a La Nina, El Nino, no, there's, there's really no change. We may be looking something longer term at La Nina at the end of the fall. Uh, but the, the, pattern, the pattern, fortunately, has not been locked into place. That there's been some changes in it. So like now, we have some cooler conditions over the northern, uh, much of the northern U.S., which is helpful as corn going into pollination. Uh, but we're going to get back into heat again next week. So we, we haven't locked into place a ridge, like a ridge of high pressure anywhere recently. And doesn't, we don't look like we're going to lock into that too much uh, throughout the month of July. Uh, there is going to be a tendency for a ridge of high pressure to, to set up more over the northern Rockies, which is going to kind of keep us in the same pattern overall. But fortunately, it's not going to be that, that same thing the whole time. So we will get some periods of cool downs. We will have some chances for rainfall more central and east, but there still will be some chances in the northern plains, fortunately. That record heat that's been out west, that's not going to move across? Uh, is, that, is that a system that could uh, move, or is that just settled right in that area? Well, it's 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 kind of locked in to there, and, and I was mentioning about that ridge of high pressure is has, is is tending to sit over uh, the the western part of the U.S. and it's kind of self-reinforcing that we are you know the western U.S. is dry and it's hot, and that hot uh, air helps to build that ridge of high pressure. And then it, it's kind of self-reinforcing that there's a tendency for that ridge to stay in place out there. But they're going to keep getting repeated, uh, you know, even, even even some, you know, not extreme, but they're still going to stay warm out there because of the dry conditions at the surface and this ridge of high pressure. That is also influencing our weather a little bit because with that ridge of high pressure parked to our west and kind of over the, the Rockies, we're getting a bit of Canadian air. So we get those influxes of Canadian air. 
which is, again, one of the, some of these cool downs that we get are beneficial. The downside of those is they don't have a, a lot of moisture available with them. So that's why we've had this kind of repeated situation where the central and eastern corn belt has rainfalls because we can get gulf moisture up there. We haven't been able to get moisture to the northern plains as effectively. We have had recently, the last 7 to 14 days or so, which has been beneficial, but we've not been able to, to get as much moisture up into that area, which is why we have the, the drought situations that we do up there. Talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So here we are now, a week into July. What do you see for July and into August? Uh, what are the longer range models showing? Sure. Uh, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on where you are, it's going to be uh, look like a fair amount of the same thing. Uh, the central part and the eastern part of the Corn Belt look like they're going to be uh, have better chances for precipitation going on through much of July. Uh, so that's really good for them. They've had some recovery. Soil moisture is in pretty good shape there. Um, you know, the area from Iowa to the north and west does have some precipitation chances, not as much, unfortunately. And they, and that, you know, that northwestern part of the Corn Belt has, you know, has the best chances of uh, staying warmer and drier overall. And that's why when we look at the, the drought monitor outlook, what, what the drought is looking like, it looks like it's going to persist up in that northwestern area. We could see some expansion into the central plains because of, of potential dryness there, uh, whereas the central and eastern part of the Corn Belt has improved and, and looks like it's going to largely stay out of, of, of you know, any major drought development at this point. Uh, and this looks like you know, the pattern is going to be sticking with us through July, maybe into August at this point. So kind of more of the same, what we've been seeing, it looks like that is going to continue. And as we've said so often in the past, uh, you don't get out of a drought overnight. It takes a while, and it looks like that's going to be a long process for those uh, areas in the Western Plains. Very much so, and you don't get out of droughts in July. Uh, you, the best you hope for is if you're in a drought, you hold your own or maybe slightly improve uh, and then get us into the latter part of the growing season uh, maybe get some help for soybeans, and then latter part of the growing season, beginning of the fall, we hope to see a shift in patterns where we can start alleviating those drought conditions. That drought monitor map, uh, are we seeing those dry areas expand at all or holding about where they've been? Uh, it's, you know, it, it's really kind of an interesting. We, uh, there, the changes this week, uh, central, again, central and eastern part of the Corn Belt, we've seen a little bit of improvement in those areas. Uh, and even uh, a little bit up in North Dakota. Uh, we've seen some expansion or worsening parts of South Dakota and Minnesota, definitely and out into Montana, the Northern Plains. Uh, just a note about the coverage, if we're talking about the Corn Belt states, the North Central U.S., uh, the coverage on the U.S. Drought Monitor map of, of drought conditions is actually the worst since 2013, which was, and this was a carry over the 2012 drought. We really didn't get out of a lot of the conditions until the beginning of 2013. So it's, a, it's the most coverage we've seen in this area since the end of the 2012 drought. Uh, we have a tropical storm, uh, Elsa. Does that impact much of the country other than right in that immediate southeastern part of the country? 
it's it's affecting the eastern part of the country, and then it's going to go up the eastern seaboard. Uh, so it's going to produce some precipitation, and there's a chance for some heavier precipitation up in the northeast as this moves along. Um, the you know that that tends to be the case. Uh, what this tends to do, you know, more of these they don't affect us, other than they kind of slow down the progression of other storm systems. Uh, so we don't get much much quick movement of things over us. It kind of slows down the overall pattern. So for us, that's not a bad thing because we're going to see some some decent chances for precipitation over the next seven days, um, mainly from kind of Nebraska over to oh, over to Indiana and then down in the Ohio Valley. So it's going to give us some chances for precipitation. Unfortunately, a little bit heavy in some places, might be a little bit of flooding or some wet conditions. But generally, you know, we're going to help out a little bit of those, especially in Iowa, some of the drier soil areas help them out. Iowa has been an interesting state. We talked you know, about things are better in the eastern Corn Belt. We talked about how dry in the western Corn Belt. Iowa, right in the middle, you kind of have a mixed bag, don't you? really do and and you know we, we've been talking about that too with this same kind of pattern set up there's kind of this area from kansas up through iowa up to wisconsin even over to michigan a little bit we've kind of been that oh we'll call it a battleground area where we've seen some rainfalls that have made things a little bit better so crops aren't terrible they're not as bad as they were a few weeks ago but they're not great if you looked at my lawn you'd say yeah you're in dry conditions as we are from central and northern iowa uh, with really, you know, really quite dry conditions, a lot of D2 in the U.S. drought monitor. But southern part of the state, southeast part of the state, and even some of our extension folks over in East Central Iowa said, you know, they don't want to talk too loudly, but they're in pretty good shape overall because they've had some decent rainfalls. And in some places, it's actually been a little bit too wet, not terrible, but, but wet enough that they've had a, a few problem areas. So, yeah, there is kind of that battleground area that, that has the, 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 the boundary for that boundary has been set up between the, you know, the fairly wet conditions or, or decent conditions from the central and east uh, compared to what we've seen from the north and west. Yeah, it's kind of a, just a mixed bag, Illinois, kind of that way too. Northern Illinois, tougher shape, central Illinois a little better. Uh, it just makes it uh, all puts production this year, total production still in question. A lot of uh, uh, the markets are volatile and reacting to all that. We just really don't know yet about the total production because does the, do the good areas, can they offset the, the bad areas? Uh, we'll have to see. Dennis, thanks a lot. Always pre- appreciate your perspective and overview of this. Thank you. You guys take care. Take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So how are the markets reacting to all this, uh, reacting to a, a rain here or there, uh, but overall questions about crop production this year? Steve Nicholson, grain analyst with Bravo AgriFinance, joins us next. We take a look at markets, weather markets, how volatile they are, what does he see moving as we go into uh, this key period here in July, what's the see markets doing? That's coming up next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system. 
sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The updated weather outlook will be closely watched, as will the new drought monitor. Hot and dry weather is expected to return to impact the northern and northwestern plains. There remains uncertainty over final U.S. 20-2021 and 21-2022 corn and soybean export demand, despite the steep drop in Brazilian export supply. Traders will key in on Chinese demand. With just 87.6 million acres of soybeans planted, the U.S. will be hard press to maintain the small ending stock level for the year for 2021-2022. On the Board of Trade this morning, it's a mixed bag. September corn trading a penny and a fraction lower at 5.41 and a half cent. The December contract down a penny at 5.30. For soybeans, the August contract up two and a fraction at 13.69 and three quarters. The September contract up a fraction at 13.32 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat September up a penny and three quarters at 6.24. Kansas City wheat September up eight at five ninety two and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September up seven and a half cent at eight fifteen and a half cent. The December contract up eight at eight oh eight. For livestock in cash cattle country following Wednesday's moderate trade, the countryside is quiet Thursday morning. Asking prices of hundred and twenty two dollars remain in the south. Most feedlots are asking hundred and twenty five dollars in the north. Yesterday, the livestock complex closed in the red. This morning, that trend continues. August live cattle trading 57 cents lower at 120.02. October down 77 at 125.92. Four feeders August contract down a dollar 72 at 157.27. September down a dollar 40 at 159.90. In lean hogs, the August contract down seven at 101.32. The October contract up 47 at 84.20. The U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. We just uh, talked with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, and he kind of described the weather for the rest of the summer kind of like what we've seen. I mean, uh, better in the eastern Corn Belt, pretty much dry in the western Corn Belt, occasional showers, hopefully enough to get uh, some people through, but not a lot of big changes. So does that uh, does that word uncertainty uh, influence the markets right now? Just not sure just what size of crop we're going to have this year? Yeah, good morning, Mike. I think so. I, I The thing is, I, th- I think the trade, and I'm going to, I, I guess I'm going to say something maybe a little derogatory to traders, but I think they're reading the headlines and saying, oh, it rained today. And so that's just, we sell the market off. But I, I agree with your prior guest. I, I mean, I'm not sold. We have to continue to get timely rains uh, for, to get this crop through because we came into this so dry, particularly in the Western Corn Belt. The East, uh, you know, does look pretty good. But when you look at the Western Corn Belt, I have a great, I have a lot of concerns about that. And, we're entering July and August, which is always the hottest and driest time of the year. We do, you know, here in Missouri, we had rainfall last week before the 4th of July weekend, um, and crops look pretty decent here, but we had these huge downpours. We had places in central Missouri were getting 8 to 15 inches of rain um, last week, but, you know, that doesn't last very long, you know, particularly when it gets hot and dry, and we've had kind of breezes uh, also. So, I'm not, I think the sell-off is, is premature. We don't know what this crop is going to look like. And you add on top of that, you know, no change in soybean acres uh, based on the June acreage numbers. And you add, you know, maybe we, we added 1.5 million acres of corn, which is, which is good, uh, but not enough to, you know, really add to a lot to the, the stocks number. And then you, then you add on top of that, when you look at the grain stocks reports June 1, we had very good demand of corn in the, in the third cro- third quarter of the crop year, and soybeans were still pretty strong, and, and crush continues to be good. Obviously, exports have declined remarkably, uh, but the fact is there's a lot of things here the market still has to deal with. It's not all new news, and that's probably why we're seeing this market set back a little bit, because it's not getting, you know, the bull needs to be fed every day with something new. Uh, but we're just in this situation where, we could very easily come to the August crop production report and go, wow, that's really something. So I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of risk in this market yet that, we, that the market has not dealt with. Yeah, and I'm sure for farmers in areas where it's so dry, they're saying, how could a market be going down? <laughs> they're looking outside and saying, we're struggling to grow anything here, and we keep hearing how tight stocks are, and these questions about production, how could the markets be going down? Yeah, it, that's exactly the question I have. It, and it's and I go back to you know the last several years, we've had the same questions, like, well, how can the market be going down when it's dry in central Iowa or it's dry in South Dakota or it's too much rain in North Dakota? How can the market be going? But we've had large stocks to back us up or to keep us in a situation where we weren't worried about supply and the ability to you know, supply that demand coming to us. But this year, to me, is different. We don't have that, you know, that backstop that we have in stocks. And I think that's where we have to be very cautious about looking at this and go, oh, the market's going to go down. Um, you know, people are holding, 
we have seen this. We did not. We'll see how it goes here at the end of the July contract. Although we're in delivery now, but you can remember how wild it got when the May went off the board. And it'll be really interesting to see as we get to the July and September contracts on corn, what happens to that, you know, those spreads and how the market reacts. I think there's, and you said it right up front, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risk here that, again, the market's not taking into account and not being consistent, in my mind, being consistent in, it's like, it, well, we'll just go down no matter what because we're in the growing season. Well, you know, the fundamentals will eventually rule out here. Yeah, it just makes it hard to understand because, as you said, yeah. always before it was, oh, we have all these stocks. Even if we have a smaller crop this year, we have all these stocks. Well, we don't have now. And right. as we look at production, even if it rains in some of those dry areas, we're not going to grow a record crop. I mean, isn't that pretty much a given? So uh, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't seem like there's yeah. there should be any any fuel there to drive the markets down, really, even if you get some rain in the forecast. That's right. And and there's not enough. It should not be driving the markets down. And I, you, you never want to say an absolute with markets because markets can humble you very quickly. And and I want it, it's and you mentioned it and it's kind of losing question about crop conditions and and we saw basically crop conditions stable this week and that that's the good news and people criticize them and they're not right and people say they don't take it seriously but the trade does but from an analyst point of view when I look at crop conditions I I create an index on all the crop conditions you know looking at everything from very poor to to excellent to see what that score comes up and when I look at those crop conditions at an index lens and look at it versus you know, end of the year crop conditions versus yield, you know, we're not, you know, particularly with beans, we're not even close to the USDA's. Beans look like they're going to be under 50 bushels the acre, you know, based on current national crop conditions. And corn at 178 is probably a little generous or a little, you know, that is a little generous at this point. So you're exactly right. If these yields aren't here, the market is just going to, you know, if it doesn't meet market's expectations, the markets will go crazy. And we saw that after the acreage numbers. Markets are like, holy mackerel, and up we went. So, you know, this is the weather market, the fundamentals, the, the reactions to reports tells you there's a lot of, again, a lot of risk, a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty that we have not, you know, all settled out yet. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. So, Steve, as, as as you look at that picture, you know, and farmers are saying, mm, "How much do I sell ahead? How much do you, yeah. you know?" Yeah. It, it's just hard to figure, right? Especially, and, and we've talked about this before. If you're in those areas that are really hard hit, they're saying oh. it doesn't matter how high the prices are. I have nothing to sell, or very little to sell. It won't matter. So, uh, it, a lot of mar- tough marketing decisions here. Yeah, it, you know, it's, you think, oh, this can't be, you know, each year you think, well, the market this is to be easier next year, and it seems like they're not. It just seems like there's always been, and this year, you're, you've laid it out well. There's just so many things to consider. If you're in the eastern Corn Belt, the decision's a little easier because you have a crop in the field. It's, it is in better condition. It's getting rain, and it looks like you're going to be able to produce a crop. So that's, we'll let them aside. They, you know, that depends on what you know what their mar- what their margins are or margin goals are, how much have they sold so far. You know, if they haven't sold anything, I would certainly encourage them uh, to think about that because you're still in profitable margin territory and look beyond. The Western Corn Belt certainly is a much more difficult situation. 
um, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, I always remind them that you do have crop insurance as a backstop, and you do know what it costs you to put that crop in. And so if you haven't sold anything, I, I still believe you should do some of that. If you have already sold some crop, and, and maybe it's at these levels or higher, it doesn't really matter, I, I think that's a much more difficult decision t- to move forward, and you probably need to just sort of sit a little bit. You know, it's almost a day-for-day for day decision. How is the crop looking? What kind of moisture are you getting? What is your forecast? And, and what kind of risk adverse and how is your crop insurance lined up for you? Um, you know, because you're going to at least, hopefully you have revenue insurance um, that will help you get through if this thing does not turn out well. Uh, but it, I always remind people, um, and we've talked about this before, if I told you there was a five in front of the corn market and there was mm-hmm. a, a 12 or a 13 or 14 for the soybean market a year ago, you would have done. You would have been all over that. So let's keep that in perspective from the standpoint of the ability to sell at these prices, ability to lock in profitable margins, which again makes everyone sleep better at night. So let's keep that in perspective. But I certainly am very conscious and very empathetic to the the, the situation in the Western Corn Belt. How do you assess that? And it's it's always a discussion I have with them is to talk about. What is the what's the worst crop you produced, and where where did that end up, and you know what's drought situation was that, and keep that in mind again. Put that perspective as what is what is the worst scenario, and then think about it from that perspective as well. Yeah, I was thinking about the higher prices uh, again. If you yeah. have something to sell, uh, but it, right. it's and a reminder. Yeah. Well, it's so much better than what it was, uh, you know, oh. before the, this rally starts. But it doesn't solve all problems. It doesn't uh, make everything just easier. I mean, there's still tough decisions. That's right. This is tough. I mean, there is never. It's never an easy decision. Whether you're on the selling side as a grain farmer. On the buying side, as a livestock producer, what do you do now? Particularly from the western, in the western corn belt, it it is extremely difficult. And you're right. The reason, part of the reason we're here from a high price perspective, a demand aside, is it because we had supply issues last year. And and I always think about the drought map. When you look at the drought monitor, right, wrong, or different, if you look at it today versus a year ago, the western corn belt looks substantially in worse condition than a year ago so that's that's what you know makes me look think about the market thing we're we're not out of the, we're not out of the woods yet on this so i think we have to think about that perspective as well but it is a there is not an easy decision i'm not going to sit here and say this is what you, i mean it's, it's difficult to say this is what you ought to do and, and it's for everyone uh, because there's so many different cases what is your what is your prospects what is your weather prospect what is your risk profile i mean it's it's yep. and how much have you sold it's, it's a very difficult decision a lot a lot to take into consideration and for sure steve yeah. thanks good to talk with you appreciate sure. it thank you mike good to talk to you as always steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for robo agrifinance don Parrish, wrapping up a long distinguished career with the american farm bureau federation joins us next we'll talk wotus and more on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. 
Plus, with the way this year has been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Krista Harden, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We know it was challenging to be able to do much uh, market development work during the pandemic, and as we are coming out of it to varying degrees around the world, how is that going now in, in getting back up and going again in some of these markets? We had to really think about how we're going to do things differently. Um, we not, are not going to trade shows. We're not having the you know face-to-face, getting to know, building that trust, working on that reputation. So all of us, I think, in the industry and across agriculture really had to think differently. I'm pretty proud of how quickly we changed and started working with folks, some of us with Zoom, some of us with other types of you know, cooking demonstration programs, working with students, culinary students, doing our programs, developing partnerships um, in a virtual way, but being constant. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek, the cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature, the feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, imagine it's all gone. No fish, no lake, no water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, 
and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. Help protect our fresh water. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Don Parrish wrapping up a 33-year career with the American Farm Bureau Federation. He joins us now. Don, thanks for being with us, and congratulations. Uh, wow, I can't believe. What, who am I going to talk to about waters of the U.S. if you're not there? Mike, I'm sure the Farm Bureau is going to have somebody that <laughs> uh, takes it to the next level. Is waters of the U.S. kind of, uh, when you look back at your career, does it feel like you've spent most of your time working on that issue? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the Clean Water Act is really important to farmers and ranchers. I mean, farmers and ranchers care about water quality. They care about the environment. But making sure that, that EPA and the Corps of Engineers implement that statute the way Congress wrote it is something that I think is critical to farmers and ranchers, and it is something I've spent the bulk of my career on. I remember conversation you and I had at an American Farm Bureau convention right after Donald Trump had been elected. And Waters of the U.S. was a a huge issue with farmers going into that election, and Trump had said he was going to get that rule changed. And we were all excited it was going to get changed uh, in agriculture. And and I remember you telling me, it'll take a long time. Well, it did. It took four years. You were exactly right. Now another administration, the Biden administration, says it's going to change it again. We don't know how much they want to change or exactly what they want to change. But will it take a long time again, you think? Well, I do believe it's going to take time, maybe not quite as long as it took uh, the Trump administration to make their changes, but I do expect uh, them to do this in two process or two steps. They're going to withdraw the navigable waters protection rule, and that rule will go away, which means that we fall back to the pre-2015 regulations, uh, and then they will replace that at some point in the future. So we finally achieve certainty. I'm not saying everyone agreed with it, but we've achieved some certainty with this waters of the U.S. rule we have in place now, kind of got everything together on it, and now we're going to go back to uncertainty? Uh, We are. And, Mike, uh, one of the things I want your listeners to understand is we're not talking about protecting, you know, lakes and rivers and streams. Those Those are clearly what Congress intended. What we're talking about here is is that 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 land that's out on the margin, and we're talking about regulating areas where water stops and land begins. And if 
if there is a regulatory overreach, we're going to be calling things that are land water, and that's going to be very problematic for farmers and ranchers. So it comes back to uh, property rights issues and uh, uh, and politics and all these things that have figured into it in the past seem to be rearing their ugly heads again. Uh, absolutely. The one thing that I, over my 33-year career, that I'm the most proud of is that Farm Bureau has stood with landowners, farmers and ranchers in particular, on their property rights. And, and again, our objective here is to have the law implemented as Congress intended. Uh, Congress used the term navigable. And, you know, the Obama administration and their clean water rule wrote that term out of the regulations. Uh, I think, you know, the people that come after me and the farmers and ranchers, they're going to have to pay really, really close attention to what the Biden administration does. Because ultimately, you know, how they treat that term, how they how they write regulations that that embody how, you know, are we regulating land or are we regulating water? And that's ultimately what we've got to we've yeah. got to discern. Well, that, that really does. That's the crux of it. And uh, I've said I've thought this so many times over the years, Don. Navigable seems like it ought to be a term that most people can agree on. But yet it's become this uh, gray area that uh, politicians have been able to use and different groups have been able to use uh, or try to manipulate the, the law and change it in different ways. And it just seems like it, it got more complicated than it needed to be. Absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of, of issues in play here. And I want your members to think about uh, ephemerals. Uh, features that only have water in them when it rains. I want them to think about ditches. I want them to think about things that are really way out on the on the fringe of what anybody would would call water. That's what that's what we're going to be arguing about. That's what we're going to be, uh, you know, dealing with on a political as well as a substantive basis. And farmers have got to be ready for that. Uh, they've got to be ready to protect their land. And, and make sure that their voices are being heard. And we've talked about this so many times over the years, Don, many cases of property owners wanting to do something on their land, uh, not being able to figure out what the rules are, or thinking they've met all the rules only to find somewhere along the line somebody says you, you didn't follow the rules. Are, are we headed back to those days of uh, uncertainty of knowing what you can or cannot do in your own land? Uh, we absolutely are, Mike. One of the reports that the Biden administration has already filed, uh, they filed a report that said that, um, you know, these projects have been able to move forward under the navigable waters protection rule that would not have before that rule. And you know the kind of projects that were on that list? They were grass waterways designed to NRCS standards. Lots of them. They were farm ponds that were that were that were designed under core specifications not to be in waters of the U.S. And they're on the list, and they're on the list for causing environmental harm. And it is just like one project after the other that they're pointing to agriculture. They're pointing to farmers and ranchers, saying that if you do these conservation practices, and you do it by USDA standards. You know, we're going after that. And I think that's where farmers and ranchers have got to pay really close attention to because those are the kinds of things that are going to get people in trouble in the future. Don, 
congratulations on a great career. Thanks for all of your help. You've been a real voice of reason uh, through all this and give us great perspective. And we wish you the very best in retirement. Thank you, Don. Thank you. And, and really, Adams on Agriculture is, you know, cops in my book. Thank you for what you do, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Don Parrish, retiring after 33 years with the American Farm Bureau Federation. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.